Welcome back, everybody. It's Jack Graham and John Peterson with We Talk Photo. Um, we do talk photo. Yes, we do. And we're going to talk some photo today, some P-H-O-T-O. Photo. So, you know, it, it, there's a few people who I always look forward to having on the podcast. And a few people we've had on more than once for um, various reasons. And the best reason to have somebody on more than once is to get around to chat with these people that that sometimes we get busy and we get traveling and we get doing other things. And, and, and you know, when we talk on the phone, it's about five or ten minutes. But when we do a podcast, it's more than that. And our, our, uh, our celebrity today... <laughs> so, is back for a second or third time is Mr. Mike Motes. And, you know, Mike is not only uh, at the top of the food chain as far as his specialty meeting macro photography, but um, Mike's a good friend, one of my, one of my best friends in the business and, uh, and, uh, and, and uh, just, just, just a fun guy to be on and, and talk to. So Mike, welcome. Um, to Thanks, JG. Third podcast of us. I think it might be third. Maybe. Yeah, it might. It might be. But, um, I, hey, I'm always happy to come on and, and chat, man. It's yeah, good, good no, that was fun. Yeah, and yeah. you know, you're busy. We're busy, and it seems like it, when we do one of these, it's kind of forces us to get caught up and yeah. see what you're doing. You know, so so it's yeah, all good. Exactly. Um, what are you doing these days? First of all, John, are you okay? Everything's okay. Doing awesome. Down? Doing awesome. Yep. It's a great day in the neighborhood. No more trees in the house. Nope. No more trees in the house. I've been down at Peterson's house. You could have done macro photography in his living room. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah, we had uh, we had a tree fall down and punch through the house and, <laughs> and knock it off leave. the foundation and you know so we're we're getting back yeah. from that one. Well, Jack knows I'm a big on shooting leaves, right, Jack? Yeah, my foot. Uh, tons and tons of leaves in my portfolio. <laughs> well, you could have done it in Peterson's living room, unfortunately. <laughs> but yeah. anyhow, uh, life is back to normal. Life is good. So what are you up to these days? Well, it's gotten you know a lot better, obviously, because the COVID is starting to loosen up a little bit, you know, for, as you know, and everybody out there that, makes a living as a photographer uh, when the pandemic hit they shut down all their workshops and camera camera clubs all over the country all over the world uh shut down and so it was uh, kind of scary there for a while i had to cancel quite a few workshops that i had i was lucky because i started a macro photo club four years ago and so i did get some income coming in during that time period um when everything got shut down in person so I was making some money online, so that was helping me out. But hurt a lot of the other pros that I know, um, assuming like you and John, of uh, course, in canceling. But now it's lightened up. Things are starting to get back a little more normal. Um, but I have been enjoying just staying home and not traveling. <laughs> so I, I, I don't really plan to do too much more in the next year or two, traveling. I have my macro conference in October on the 1st and 2nd, but... Uh, other than that, I'm just having fun staying home. But you, you're also, um, I, you know, I, I guess it's okay to say this. You're, you're having a knee replaced. Am I correct? Yeah, yeah. On November first, it's already scheduled for November first. So my knees have been bad uh, the last couple of years, and it's made it really tough going out in the field. Because when you're out in the woods walking around, it's uneven ground, and when that, you know, walking on that uneven ground, it really grinds on my knee joints. So I just finally decided I have to get something done here. Um, and so November 1st, I get my first one replaced, and hopefully that'll go well. And if that goes well, I'll get the second one done. Yeah. And then I'll be bionic knees. <laughs> so <laughs> and, so and hopefully that'll get me back out there without any pain. This is the result of all those years of being on your knees on the ground. Yeah, right. See, if you did what I did, you'd only have a bad back. And rotator cuff, and uh, and uh, and and bad shoulders, and everything else. So well, yeah, and everybody you talk to is our age in our age group. They all got aches and pains and all kinds of 
issues going on. Not John and I. Yeah. We have no issues. Everything's great. I feel yeah. like a Advil's a one drug. I feel like a twenty-one year old. When I was doing my workshops, I'd tell people I'd show pictures of me down on my hands and knees shooting, and they and most of them in the workshops would say, "Well, if I get down on my knees, I'm not getting back up." So that ain't going to happen for me. <laughs> you know, those are the days when we didn't have those LCDs that turned around and yeah. you know you, you, you need to look through the viewfinder. Yeah. And I still yeah. have, haven't published it yet, Mike, but I still have that picture of you taking a landscape photograph. Oh, my God, not that. Anybody sees that, <laughs> you're out of business. <laughs> my tiny landscapes will be done. <laughs> yeah, yeah th- that's good. And, I, you know, from what, I, from what I've heard from a few people who are doing it, I had uh, a couple people on some workshops that um, yeah. are part of, your, part of your world and everybody yeah. – um, at least they claim that you do a really good job. And I'm sure. <laughs> um, yeah. Speaking yeah. of landscape, I was in Alaska doing a workshop in Anchorage, you know, and and so I spent ten days there just driving around Alaska, and never shot a landscape. And everybody says wow. you went to Alaska for ten days and never shot a landscape. I says, yeah, never shot a landscape. <laughs> you went to Alaska for ten days and never shot a landscape. Yeah, it's amazing, huh? Well, I was in Iceland too for um, seven days and never shot a landscape there either. <laughs> I don't know how you cannot, not even with an iPhone. No, no it doesn't wow. interest me. That's okay. The last time I was in the Chicago Botanical Garden, or wherever it is up north there, what's that called? That garden up there, Mike? Um, Chicago. In Chicago? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is the Chicago Botanical Garden. Is, yeah. Well, the last time I was there, I never shot a macro shot, so there. so take that Uh (laughs) well anyway so John and I were talking and we have a little bit of a topic believe it or not we're just not going to ramble here today that we'd like to (laughs) bring some information to people who are um, taking time out to listen to our diatribes here Um, John I'm going to let you lead off with it how's that sure All right. thanks Jack well so folks you know we we bring a lot of uh, professional folks on a lot of wonderful wonderfully talented people we don't dive a lot into techniques or tips or any of that kind of stuff but you know because this is Mike's third time back we thought it might be kind of fun to talk to Mike a little bit about macro and close-up photography and you know, for those that are interested in it and want to get started, what are, you know, what advice can Mike share? And then for those that are already doing some of it, is there any more like intermediate or advanced advice that Mike can give us? So it's a little kind of preview of his uh, macro club and, and some of his symposiums, but, but maybe sure. ignite some passion in, in our listeners here around um, doing some close up photography. So it's uh you know, trying to do a little value add today with Mike because he's a wealth of information in this world. That he is. That he is. So, Mike, for for a, a brand new beginner who who is captivated by close up or macro photography, how does how does somebody get started doing this? Well, the great thing about macro is you don't need an expensive camera body. Um, I, I used uh, cameras, and still today, my, my SLR bodies, DSLR bodies, are under $1,000. And that, that's, that's done that way for the purpose, the fact that 60% of the people that come into my workshops are using camera bodies that are under $1,000. So Bill Fortney, who you all know, um, talked to me at a photo conference, and he says, Mike, he says, how come you're not using our professional bodies that we sell? I says, well, Jack... I says, Bill, I says, you know, 60% of the people in my, my uh, workshops are using cameras under $1,000. If I'm using your $6,500 professional camera, those people are going to leave my workshop saying, well, Mike's images look good because he's got an expensive professional camera. So I use a camera that's the same, you know, level price-wise as the majority of the people that come into my workshops. And it's the, the point is to show them that you don't have to have an expensive camera for macro photography. Now, now I wouldn't tell you that my camera body would be a good choice for someone that does, does you know, fast action shots or something like that, or maybe needs high ISO, really high ISO with low noise. Um, there are certain types of photography that require them 
people to buy more expensive cameras. But for macro photography, we don't require any of those things so we can get by with less expensive cameras. And, you know, Jack and I and, and John have talked about this many times. It's not about the camera. You know, you need to find a good subject to photograph. You need to compose it properly. And then, of course, I always tell people you should have some good skills in post-processing. So you don't need a you don't need an expensive camera body for number one. Uh, two, um, if if you want to get a macro lens, they're all good lenses. I mean, I have not seen any bad macro lenses in my workshops, and I've seen them all from Nikon and Canon and and the Fujis and the Takinas and Tamron's, and they're all they're all good. Um, so any macro lens you pick up is going to be a a good lens. Now, I have changed the way I shoot over the last few years. Now, when I was shooting in the beginning in 2004 with my first six megapixel digital camera, um, which was a Fuji S2, uh, because I only had six megapixels in that image, uh, I couldn't do any cropping. So all my framing had to be done so that I framed it perfectly when I shot the image so I didn't have to crop too much. But now I'm using a Fuji X-T30 Mark II uh, which has 26 megapixels, and now I'm finding myself just shooting a little larger area and cropping out what I need. So I'm almost to the point now where I don't even use a macro lens anymore because I can almost crop out what looks like a, a one-to-one shot out of the image I just shot with my, my uh, zoom lens. I, I'm using the 18-300 to 300 Tamron lens. Oh, nice. So a lot different. Before Jack's head explodes around that that whole yeah, I know. Topic. For I those know. that know Jack, he's over there fuming but, right now. But let me ask you just a quick question, Mike. What's uh, could you explain the difference between a macro lens and a regular lens, and why somebody might want one of those versus a, a regular sure. lens? Yeah. So you, you've heard people say that they have a, a regular lens and they want to kind of get in closer, shoot into the macro range, and they'll they'll use extension tubes between the lens and the camera body, or they might put on a close-up filter on the front of the lens. Um, basically, a macro lens has the extension, uh, you know, the extension tube built right into the lens already, so it already has the ability to, to focus in closer. Um, now, one thing about a macro lens is that they shoot down into the what they call the one-to-one range or life-size reproduction. And basically what that is is that when you get to the minimum focusing distance of that macro lens, you're actually capturing the actual life size of that subject right onto your sensor. Um, so that's shooting in the one-to-one range. And most true macro lenses are one-to-one ratio or magnification. Uh, your standard lenses will maybe nowadays the zoom lenses. I mean, they have the ability to focus in very close. Like uh, my Tamron 18 to 300, I can shoot down as a smaller area as an inch and a half by two and a half inches. Ninety hmm. percent of what I shoot is larger than an inch and a half by two and a half inches. So uh, these new zoom lenses and all all the different brands do this. They all have the ability to focus in really close to subjects. And now that's what we call the close-up photography is. When when you're not when you're shooting outside of that one to one, you're you're shooting now close up photography. When you're shooting one to one or higher magnifications, that's true macro photography. Most people don't understand the terms, and they just call close up. A lot of them call close up photography macro photography, which is something I do myself. But um, there is a technical term for the two different styles there. But um, most of the zoom lenses now can actually focus in really, really close into subjects where is in the past when you had zoom lenses, it might have to be a four or five foot, you know, minimum focusing distance. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Not like well, even at that on a tripod, I was I was just thinking back to Alaska when I was uh, killing some time waiting for a flight out of this lake and I was shooting I was shooting close ups with my 100 to 400 and having a grand yeah. old time with it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was just at a, I did a workshop at Madeline Island and Jackie Kramer was one of the instructors there. And she, that's what she was shooting. Um, I, th- I think hers was like a 100 to 500 or something. And that's what she was using to shoot her flower photography. It's yeah. yeah you don't, so you doing. don't really need a, you know, an expensive kit to get started in close no. up or, or macro stuff. I think with macro, no. though, I mean, you, technically you do need to get into that one to one. So you do need a a macro lens for the most part yeah if you want to get into the true macro one-to-one yeah yeah but i mean you could always use your your zoom lens and add a extension tube on there if you wanted to get in close if you didn't want to buy a dedicated lens but um yeah i mean macro lenses are fun you know they're just fun to play with and they they also have a little better ability to blur out the backgrounds too than these zoom lenses do Uh, but in most cases i'm using a background behind my subject 
I'm going to tell you that I was at Rainier uh, and the wildflowers are just starting to come out here about two mm-hmm. weeks ago. <clears throat> and we all shot some. And nobody had a macro lens. In fact, mm-hmm. what we were stressing was using long lenses. And I was actually using a 100 to 400, believe it or not. Because mm-hmm. yeah. the longer, the physically longer the lenses, not, not necessarily mm-hmm. the focal length, but the physical, physically, how long the lens is from where it comes, you know, one end to the other, it increases the ability to to blur out the background. Exactly. And um, yep. you know, it, it's it's uh, it's a lot of fun. And I have to tell you that I, I rarely even use the word macro anymore. No, I, yeah. I I'd rather use the words close up photography. Yeah. That's technically that's what, we're doing. what we're doing. Yeah, technically we're doing close-up photography. You know, and and how about how about a uh, you know a 150 millimeter lens with a Canon 500D diopter on the end. Yeah. Yep. You know? <laughs> um, if you're walking 10 miles, for me, if you're yeah, right. Um, I don't want to carry a macro lens and a, and a zoom lens, so I just bring diopters. Nikon yep. used to make those 4T, 5T, 6Ts. I think yeah. they were. 62 millimeter and 58 millimeter and in canon mm-hmm. it's at 500d which is 77 millimeter i don't yeah. know how hard that is to find anymore for a while they were possible to find but um you just a whole lot of things you can do so and jack, term- yeah. jack since, since you brought up the topic of a diopter for those that might not know what they are you want to give us a quick little yeah it's it's really easy it's a it's a it's a lens it's, i guess sort of a lens it screws into the the end of your zoom lens where the glass is. Not not. It so doesn't it's a lot go like through. a filter. You'd put a filter on the end of your lens. Yeah. Yep. 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 And um, and it increases the uh, the magnification. Yeah. Of it depending on on its strength. So it's a screw-on um, magnifying glass. Exactly yeah. what it is. <laughs> but you need a good one, and I don't know anybody that's making them or made them. Nikon doesn't make them anymore. And yeah. they're around on eBay. You could pick them up for about a hundred bucks a piece, I think. And it's a, a, a four, a four to five. I think it's, I don't know. There's two, two that are 58 millimeter threads and, and two that mm-hmm. are 62 millimeter threads. And the yeah. cast makes this 500D, which is a 77 millimeter thread. So you could use that with a step down ring yeah. um, and, and use it really on any lens. And, and, and they're good. I mean, they're not, they don't really degradate the image sure uh, right. a lot. I mean, there's probably some loss, uh, everything yeah, else. Yeah, but it's, it's not noticeable. No. So, you know, and, and how about, I know, you could look back in John Shaw's macro book, and he mm-hmm. has images in there. Mike, you'll, you'll attest to this, where you could use a diopter and, uh, you know, uh, a, a teleconverter. Right, yep. And, man, yep. you, can, you can count the hairs on the... On, on the on the bumblebee, you know, I mean, it's crazy, yep. you know. Yeah, so it's, it's gotten a lot easier. Where I was going macro. is the term macro. To me, I, I don't really like the term. I rather use close up because that's really yeah. what we're doing, one way yeah. or the other. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, and once I, you get into one to one and higher magnifications, then it's technically macro. Yeah, and, and and just for my my followers that listen to this podcast, <clears throat> there's very few people that I won't give a really bad time about cropping to. And it's a lot of, <laughs> Mike and I go back a lot of years, and um, you know, there's too much uh, political crap going on. I stay away from that. I don't want to get into it, but my, you all know how I feel about that. So, yeah. John, for yeah. once, I'll shut up and leave it at that. <laughs> That's That's John's awesome. getting old. Uh, Jack's getting old. He, he is. He's, he's, he's falling a, behind. He's, he's one of those guys that you hear out in the neighborhood. Get off my lawn. Yeah, he's oh, traditional. I was a kid, you know. When I was a kid, you yeah, know. exactly, exactly. <laughs> we shot, he doesn't. He doesn't stay up with the times. It's the best, you know. <laughs> no, I mean, everybody's gone to know, shoot larger and crop. Yeah, I think we can all admit to to cropping a little bit. It's just how much uh, somebody's personal preferences you you're willing oh, to crop out of I'm, an image. I'm quite amazed how much I've been cropping. <laughs> yeah, man, things, things shift a lot. So, so, Mike, you know, we've... we've you know, I always say, the older you get, the more you crop. Sorry. Yeah, right. <laughs> I didn't get the way it sounded, but... 
Well, well especially well, as your knees start giving out and your mobility is, you can't contort yourself to get to get right well, up in there. It, it makes well, sense. Oh my god! Back in the days when I had that six yeah. megapixel camera, I couldn't crop hardly anything out of that darn thing. So I had to take all the extra time to have to frame it perfectly and all that. And oh yeah. my god, time consuming. So, Mike, let me ask. So, you know, for introductory, just getting into close up or um, or macro stuff, great. You know, we talked about the gear. You don't need much. What's the? What do you? How do you coach people from a mindset, from a vision perspective? Because a lot of people are used to seeing or looking at grand landscapes and the big view and all this stuff. How do you get people in the mindset to to really notice? subjects at a, at a close-up level well you know the funny thing about that is that i would have people say to me they go you know mike you seem to have a really good eye to spot things and you must have a natural talent for this right mm-hmm. and i tell them i says you know the first three years that i was shooting not one of those images on my website today three years of shooting not one on my website today so i don't obviously don't have a natural talent it was just learned and i just i just studied other people's photography. I studied composition by other photographers, macro photographers, and saw what they were doing, saw what they were shooting, and then just spent tons and tons of times out in the woods walking around looking for things. Um, I try to find subjects uh, and, and try to find ways to shoot things that are a little bit different than what everybody else is doing. So if you're looking at any of the flower photography sites out there, you're going to see that most people will shoot a flower with this flower head in the top third of the frame and a stem under it. And everybody does it the same way. So I try to go in a different direction and find some other way to, you know, to get into that flower and, and come up with a different composition of it so it doesn't look like everybody else's. Now, it's not to say that you're not going to have shots of flowers that are standard shots in the top third of the frame with a stem under it, but you have to, uh, after you've accomplished that, don't keep shooting the same shot over and over of that flower, you know, move on and do something different. So it's it's really a lot about going on to the different sites that are out there. I mean, Facebook's got tons of sights on macro photography groups, and there's, you know, naturephotographer.net, which Jack knows about, and Naturescapes, and they all have uh, macro groups, and you can go on there and just look at the subject matter people are shooting and show, look at compositions and how people are doing th- things and give you ideas so that when you go out into the field. And I'm the type that, you know, I always complain about everybody's shooting the same thing. Everybody's shooting flowers and bugs, flowers and bugs. If you go to any of these sites, you see the same subjects being posted, flowers and bugs. Matter of fact, someone the other day said on uh, one of the sites, does anybody post anything other than flowers and bugs? And I go, yeah. I says that's kind of the way it is. So I've, I have a huge portfolio of all kinds of plant life and all kinds of, of leaves, like I mentioned earlier, and I've got, you know, feathers and, and uh, you know, tree trunks and all kinds of things that I shoot. And, and there's just so much to shoot out there in the woods and macro. And so I try to branch out. I, you know, when I go out west, I shoot all the Unintended. desert plants when I'm down south. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When I'm in, when I'm in uh, Florida, I'm shooting tropical plants, so I, I try to vary the subject matter that I shoot and not just do the same old things everybody else is shooting. And that's kind of what sets your photography apart, is if you can do things that is different from what everybody else is doing. But, you, you know, you've you got to start somewhere. So, again, studying a lot of the images that people are posting out there really helps give you ideas on subject matter and that. And uh, Hey, follow me. Look at my website, and you'll see all the ideas you can get right there on my website. Yeah, there you go. I think I think a couple of thoughts you you triggered in me, Mike. Is one is um, one is you know one of Jack's favorite comments or, or instructions, which is slowing down. I mean, you yeah. can't see the small things if you're walking four or five miles an hour through the forest. You have yeah. to slow down. Well, and that then, was a good point that you just made, is because I had a, a lady that I was uh, a place called Forty Acre Rock down in uh, South Carolina. Um, Someone in a workshop that I was doing down there in uh, Charlotte was saying that she was going to 40 Acre Rock to shoot. And I go, well, that sounds kind of interesting. You know, I'll meet you over there. So met her over there at the parking lot, and it was about a quarter-mile walk down to this 40 Acre Rock. And as we're walking down that pathway, I'm stopping her. I'm going, look, you just walked right by this thing right here, this little thing. And then we walk a little you know, farther, and then I stop her again. Hey, wait a minute. And... And so her thing is that she's interested in getting to the 40-acre rock, and I'm observing everything, and I'm walking by from the car all the way to the 40-acre rock before we get there to shoot anything. 
Uh, whereas most people, they're just kind of oblivious to everything they walk by, and I'm studying everything everywhere I go. Um, so it, it, but that's training your thought process and your eyes to to do that. You know, it takes time. It very much is. And then, and then, uh, yeah, that was a great example. I think the other point that that came up in my head when you were talking too was was it's more than just shooting subject. I mean, you're looking for patterns, textures, shapes, colors, light. Right. You're looking yeah. for things beyond the subject at that level, sure. um, just like a cool texture or a cool pattern that's you know three inches by two inches. You might notice exactly. as you're walking to Forty Acre Rock, and yeah, and subjects with lines. I love yeah. lines, you know, yeah. flowing lines and stuff. Yeah, there's and there's a lot of that out there. You just have to you know shrink your your vision down to smaller areas, you know, when you're looking at things. You know, yeah. you know, so, I think it's like a, the old guy again, but. I just looked on eBay, and you can buy John Shaw's close-ups in nature book, which yeah, I, have I have that. There's some things in life doesn't change, right. and one is what he wrote in that book. You can buy that book for five bucks on eBay. Yeah, yeah. which is so a good deal. And man, <laughs> yeah, what what a what a what a valuable yeah uh, tool. I mean, it just I recommend people buying that if they're into. Well, that's got that's what got me into macro. Kind of was I bought that book that you're talking about, and I remember there's a dragonfly in there, um, close up of a dragonfly, and I just was so amazed by that, and and that's kind of what got me into doing macro was John's book there. Yeah, um, was, but you know, even I mean, the equipment is outdated that he talks about, but of course, all the other stuff he talks about is good. Stuff. Technique doesn't change. No, no. But when I teach my workshops and stuff, I always tell people there's three things that make a good photo. Really good subject matter, good composition, and good post-processing. It's really that simple. Um, You just just really need to search out those good subjects, and once you find them, know how to to, compose them, and then you got to have some skills in the post-processing. And, you know, when you shoot close-up stuff, the, the light is not as dependent because you can use no. and you can you can make adjustments, you know. If, yeah. if you know, many times, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a little less fat than I used to be, but <laughs> being fat really comes in when you want to block the sun. <laughs> oh, it does. Well, I, you know, I still walk and carry a, a little portable. It's like a 12-inch diffuser. I carry that in yeah, my pack at yeah, all times. That's, that's all I ever use. Yep. Same thing as what I use. That's all. Yeah. 12-inch yeah, you don't diffuser. need a lot. Yeah. No. Yep. No, the, um, you know, part of the reason that I got into macro was because where I live north of Detroit in the suburbs, uh, I do have four really good parks near my home that I shoot at, but there's just not any really good landscape to shoot there. And so when I started out, I actually wanted to do landscape photography, but I was running a business, a painting business, and I realized that I was just not going to be able to travel enough to do the landscape I wanted to do. And living where I was living, I just, you know, I wasn't going to find anything to shoot. So that's kind of how I got into the macro thing is because there's just unlimited amount of subject matter out there to shoot. So, you know, that's that's another thing. If you live in an area uh, that doesn't have the grand landscapes and the national park landscapes and stuff, you know, macro is a, an alternative for you. Plus, in the in the wintertime when it's, uh, you know, cold and snowy outside, I can shoot indoors. Or like in the summer when it's 90 degrees, I don't want to go outside, I can shoot indoors. So that's another really nice benefit that we have as macro photographers. You can do it in your backyard. You yeah, I've done it in your backyard. Table. I've done it in Jack's backyard many yeah. times. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to, we'll end with that story. Mike. Yeah, yeah, we'll keep that yeah. for another for another time. Yeah. So, Mike, you know those those people that are already doing some kind of basic close up stuff, um, but maybe want to take it to the next level. Um, any do you know? Do you work with focusing rails or you know any specialized lighting? Do you? Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? I, you know, Jack had mentioned about, you know, putting close-up filters on the front of your lens, and I was using a Nisi close-up filter, which will take your your one-to-one macro lens to two-to-one, so it doubles the magnification, and we'll get into a really small, small area. Um, and I do use a rail, um, which is, is something you attach to the top of your tripod, 
and that camera will move back and forth. It's about five inches of a of clearance area. You can go from you know uh, moving it from uh, way in the back of the rail, and then you can slide it up and move the camera up closer to the front. And uh, when I when I was using that close up filter on the on my Tamron 90. I, I was shooting subjects that were the size of my finger, my thumbnail, that small. And so when you have a tripod and you're in that close to a small, tiny subject like that, and you want to, if you're trying to get the framing right, you want to just move in a little bit closer, it's very difficult to take the tripod and move it a fraction of an inch. So with the rail, you can do that with the uh, camera on top of the rail. You can just, it's got a little crank on it, a little thumb screw thing that'll move the camera back and forth. And so then I can use that rail to move in closer or farther away from my subject for framing. So I do I do use that when I'm doing the higher magnification because again when you're shooting it when I'm shooting close up photography I can just move the cam the tripod you know half inch or quarter inch or whatever but uh, it's it's much much more difficult when you're shooting something the, you know the size of your thumbnail that small and trying to get that camera in position at the right framing and having to move the camera with the tripod back and forth so the rail really helps out for that a lot of people use a rail for focus stacking. Um, instead of instead of uh, focusing the lens in different parts of the subject, they'll actually move the camera with the rail uh, to get the different you know, slices of focus throughout the, the subject. Yeah, because gen- generally we're working with a, a shallower depth of field when we're when we're yeah. shooting macro. Oh yeah, a real shallow depth of field. Yeah, very like little. Just millimeters make a difference whether yeah. whether the the critical sure. piece of the flower is in focus or not. Yeah, and I show that in my workshops. You know, I'll say, well, I, this is a ruler that I set on a table, and I'm photographing the ruler at an angle with my lens, and you know, at shooting at a small f-stop like a 2.8 or a 3.5, all I'm getting in focus is one eighth of an inch on that ruler. That's a yeah. tiny little bit in focus. And so I tell people, if you want to get more focus, just go to your higher f-stops. I shoot a lot of my stuff at f32, a lot of it. Wow, and you don't get, get a lot everything of diffraction or uh, aberrations no. in the corner. No, well, the thing is, is not that not that you don't get some diffraction, but it's not it's not as bad as people make it out to be. They make it out like your images are going to come out all blurry. Uh, it's just a slight softness in the details from the diffraction. But we have sharpening tools. That's what they're designed for. So do. all my images, if they're a little bit a little bit soft, I got a tool that'll fix that. It'll sharpen that image right up. So you don't like back. The, everybody said never shoot at f22 or never shoot yeah. at two. don't shoot at the extremes and you know right. what there was some validity into that but the quality of the lenses that are being built today for the most much part, better much better you know that's a that's a that's old news yeah yep you're right you're right and and tamron tech people told me the same thing he said the lenses being produced today do not have the amount of diffraction that the older lenses did and of course in the film days if you had diffraction you couldn't do anything about it right it was just there but we have tools to correct that just like we correct uh colors and we correct uh, compositions with cropping and, and we correct contrast and and all that stuff so and, and exposures in post-processing now we we correct our softness from diffraction with sharpening tools so i so i tell people don't don't worry about shooting at the high f-stops if you need to get more depth of field get up there into those higher f-stops there's a book called um group f64 uh ansel adams and edward weston and seven other photographers or five other photographers started a club in california in 1932 i think it was and what 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 their style of photography was was shooting at f64 on the lenses they bought and so they were wanting everything in focus from front to back, and so they were shooting at the highest f-stops. And then they started this this camera club, and they called the club Group F64 because all the people in the club were shooting at F64. So I guess it was good enough for Ansel Adams. You know, yeah, of should course. be okay for me. <laughs> yeah, Ansel. you can buy that book on um, on on Amazon. Ansel, they, who? I I bought it under this Ansel guy. He's all over the place. He's gonna be oh big. God. I swear. Yeah. Oh my God, it's amazing! <laughs> I, you know, personally, I never, thought, I never really cared for his photography. <laughs> well, I, you know, I, thought, I, good, I mean, I, I guess for the time when he was shooting, he was really good. But I mean, I see so many other great landscape photographers that I don't look at Ansel as being, I guess, great for his time frame when he lived. But 
Uh, yeah, I don't know. I was never impressed with it. <laughs> I, I think that's the point, Mike. I think he was great for great for his time. Any set precedent that we all yeah. now follow a lot of that. So he's <clears throat> and you know a lot of times I tell people about you know being the first one to shoot something. This is you know Ansel was the first one to really you know show all these great images from Yosemite, right? Um, and so he was the he was the first one to do it, and everybody wanted to follow in his footsteps and go and shoot the same shot, the exact same spot he put his tripod and everything. Um, and that's what turned me off when I went to land when I was doing landscape and I went to Yosemite to shoot in 2004. I'm there with 50 other photographers shooting the exact same scene, right? Oh yeah, tunnel view. And, and I'm and I'm like, what the hell? I, I, all I'm doing is shooting the same thing everybody else is shooting, and that goes on 365 days a year there. So that kind of turned me off. Uh, and with macro, when, everything that I show on my, my website, I mean, nobody else has those images because I was out there photographing it and the environment erased it. It doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. So to me, it's more you know, more of a personal thing. You have more original images that nobody else can reproduce or have, whereas landscape, you know, if you get those good shots at the national parks, all the icon shots, every landscape photographer that uh, – goes to those has the exact same images now the yeah. light changes and the clouds change and all that but yeah that's a whole that's a whole nother we could do about 10 podcasts on that subject and yeah well anyhow so mike you know just following up you know on 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 uh on what john brought up um which is a great question where I mean, is there anything anything that's going to change in the? Nothing's changed as far as technique goes. But what, what do you see? Do you see? Tra- I, I, I'm starting to see more abstract um, macro yeah. work. Now. We've had uh, some people on here. John Krista. I'm going to pronounce. Her name. Yep, What's her? Brief. I don't want to say her last name wrong, but her work is exceptional, and even the. You know, we just did a, po- a podcast with uh, Jennifer Renwick and and, uh, mm-hmm. and David King, and you know mm-hmm. they're doing some fairly tight close-up abstract macro work. Mm-hmm. Do you see it more of that, Mike, or is that just me? You know, I like abstract, but I've never had much success for it. In other words, if I was to put it on the 23 sites that I post on every single day on Facebook, I don't get. I just don't get the response from people when I post the abstracts as I do with my just standard photography, you know, everything in focus photography. Um, you know, there are the people out there that like, uh, you know, Jackie Kramer and Ann Belmont, Jerry Jones, Kathleen Clemens that do the soft focus lens baby stuff, which is abstracty. And people eat yep. that up. I mean, there's a, yep. they get a big following for that, that look, you know, but again, it's not, it's, it's not anything that I, you know, I mean, I think it looks great, but I'm just not interested in myself. I like the more everything in focus shots. Yeah. Um, so I, I've, I've done that, but I, it, I, I don't know. I never had much luck with it. It's hard. It's harder to do. It is. I mean, you know, something. Uh, I have lady. a background as <laughs> as you and a lot of people know. I have a background in music business, and I used to get asked all the time, "What's the hardest instrument to play?" Mm-hmm. And the answer is, they're all hard. Yeah, it doesn't right. matter what what style of photography you're in or whatever to do it right. Yeah. You, you got to work, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, but I I love abstract images, um, but I just never had any success with them. Even you know, I shoot, I have a lot of abstract images, but when I would share them with people or or when I was in the art show business for seven years, nobody bought that stuff. You know, um, there was nobody was interested in buying it. Um, people look at it and they didn't know what the hell it was. And it's like, I'm not putting that on my wall if I can't identify what it is, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so I kind of drifted away from that style because of that reason that it just didn't appeal to the people that were following me. Um, yep. so I do what I do and it, it makes, you know, and people that, that like what I do. And so I just stick with what works for me. Right. You know, you, you find a style that works and you just keep repeating it and it keeps creating more success for you. Well, you've had a lot of success. I, I remember when you were painting houses. That's In fact, that's where we met. You were still painting houses. 
Yeah. And you were doing an art show in Ohio, and I think I said, well, why don't, why don't you save a few bucks at a hotel, stay at the backyard, and, and yeah. back at the house, and you ended up shooting in the backyard and walking away. Yeah. Remember rain that day, and we it, it poured rain, and we went out and shot those lilies. And, and then well, you we did, started off with the um, with the uh, Cuyahoga, Cuyahoga Valley we went to in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. And that's when it started to rain, and we said, well, we're going to head back to the house and get lunch. You remember? Yeah, it was a, it was an interesting day. I think you actually shot. Well, why don't you tell a story now? Because we, we we're going to have to bang this up here in about ten minutes. Yeah. Tell, well, tell, the the great thing was is that Jack's um, wife is amazing at flower gardens. She's got amazing flower gardens in the backyard. So when we get back from the Cuyahoga Valley, um, it was lunchtime, and so Jack says, "You know what? I'm going to put together some food." Why don't you go out and shoot? And I'm going. I'm all for that. <laughs> I don't want to well, make food. Let me just preface this: be, 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 we had a raised water lily pond in the yeah. back. Yeah. Well, the and thing was, it was hidden behind a bunch of arborvitaes too. It was hidden, and, and I had walked down there in the morning because we had some fish in there, and I don't know what else is in there. So yeah. I think I walked down there with the dog or something. And I knew you were going to show up, and I said, well, maybe I'll impress Mike, and I'll take a back <laughs> close-up shot of something in this pond. And I looked through the pond, and I said, geez, there's nothing here. There's nothing here today. I'll go do something else. Okay, Mike, pick it up from there. So then I go walking around and back, and I happen to go behind these arborvitaes, and I see this beautiful raised box with these amazing lily pads. Now, the storm was kind of passing through, and there was this amazing light that was coming behind that storm that was hitting those lily pads, and they were just lit up really cool. And there's water drops all over the lily pads, which made it even better. So I was all excited. I'm shooting these lily pads, getting all kinds of really cool compositions. Now, the interesting thing about that box where it was positioned was right next to that, about 100 feet away from that, there was a 40,000-square-foot mansion that was being built, and that house was being built for <laughs> LeBron James, the basketball player. Can you believe that? I, so here, I tell people, you never know where you're going to get some great images, you know? <laughs> shot, shot lily pads next to LeBron James' house. <laughs> <laughs> So Jack, you, why are you moving away from LeBron James? He's a he's a big superstar. You'd be his neighbor. <laughs> yeah, well, I was his neighbor. That's another story. But but anyhow, <laughs> what happened is Mike comes back, and I didn't he didn't say anything. And then Mike, you did that your first book, Tiny Landscapes book, remember? Yeah, yeah. And I'm, yeah. I'm I, I, Mike sends me a book. I I think I actually had to pay you for that book. It's amazing. <laughs> no, but, no um, way. <laughs> But uh, I looked at this book and I said, man, I like those those lily pads are great. And then below it, it says shot in Jack Graves' backyard. And I said, yeah. son of a bitch, how in the world did you see that? Because I walked by that that day and I did not see that. And, oh, man, that came out to be an amazing image. <laughs> well, I got a couple different Mike images, sees, but I have one that I really like. Mike sees in that way. I mean, it's an amazing thing and it's to your credit to you yeah, but, it, it, you know, again, like I said, everybody can do it. Um, you really just got to put the time in the field, and you've got to spend a lot of time studying subject matter. And, and also, again, you know, I'm on, the, I'm on the Internet every single day looking at images, every day. Yeah. I mean, for 20 years I've been doing it, um, yeah. and I still do it. And so that's, that's what helps us, you know, to see things is seeing what other people see because you get ideas from other people. Um, what they see, and, and you can kind of incorporate it into what you do, and maybe do a little twist on it, a little you know change to it, or whatever. But um, you know, I, I can't say that everything that I do is my own original. I mean, I've learned stuff from. A, a matter of fact, NatureForTires.net, which Jack and I both started on uh, in 2004, I started there. I learned a ton of stuff there uh, from other photographers that were helping me when I was getting started, and so. Those those sites in Nature Photographer still sits you know, exist today. You can still join it. It's a critique site, but uh, um, yeah, it, it's it's just something you got to spend the time put into it. Um, you know, learning learning about uh, again composition, knowing a little bit about composition, and then also just studying a lot of subject matter. And, and the more you shoot, the better you're going to get at it at seeing things. Well, yep. Mike, you've done it. Man. You to your credit, it's. Uh, 
It's good in your use your your um, macro uh, macro club? online classes is yeah. I tried I, that and four I, years ago on my workshops that rave about it. Thanks, thanks a lot. I started that four years ago because I wanted to get out of traveling so much. I was just getting burned out. And I wanted to figure out a way to make money where I didn't have to travel. And so I come up with this idea about creating videos and teaching people online through videos. So I started putting videos together. And I put this, when I got to about 100 videos, I put this thing out there on online that, hey, I've got this macro photo club. You join the photo club and you get access to these videos on instructional videos on macro photography. And it also includes videos on composition, videos on equipment, videos on uh, um, uh, tips in the field, like me out in the field shooting, and then post-processing videos. So it covers a big range of different things. So when I started that group and I put it out there, I was thinking, you know, maybe I can get a hundred people to join this photo club thing. Right. So here it is four years later, we've got over 2,600 members from 28 countries. That just blows me away that uh, yeah. we're starting to get people from all these countries all over the world signing up for this thing. So it really became very successful. And I pretty much on a daily basis, get new people signing up every day almost. So it's, that's really helped me. And, and, and it's done what I was intending it to do was to, be able to cut back on my travel and just stay home more and, and make money online. Um, and, and I'll be honest with you, I can teach people way better through those videos because when I do a workshop, when I would go to uh, you know a hotel and do an indoor workshop and I would teach that, uh, I would have things to photograph on tables and stuff, but it, do, it, it doesn't help people see how I do it out in the field, whereas with videos that I shoot in the field, you actually get to see me you know find a subject, set up a tripod, show you how I, you know, the composition I'm doing, talk about that, talk about the f-stops, all that thing. And I've got over a hundred of those videos of me in the field shooting. So uh, it's just a great tool to teach people. Whereas in the past, you know, Jack knows, and, and uh, we used to write eBooks and sell them online eBooks. And, but it's not the same reading in a book and looking at pictures as it is actually seeing a video of someone doing something. That's why you know, YouTube has been so successful. Hell, anything I want to know how to do, I just go to YouTube and oh, then somebody yeah. will show you how to do it. YouTube University, the University yeah. of YouTube. Yeah, oh, I'm, I've, I've had so many times around the house here, even though I didn't know how to do something, I put it a video, I, I type it into uh, YouTube and there's somebody showing you how to do it. Oh, yeah. It's great. What's the, <laughs> what's the, uh, the website for your macro club, Mike? Yeah, well, it's just go to my website, which is tinylandscapes.com, tinylandscapes.com. And uh, and when you get to the website in the top portion, there's links of different links of different areas you can go to in the website. And there's one's called Macro Photo Club, and it's right in the center. Uh, and it's $99 to join the club. Uh, we also have the benefit of having a group on Facebook. So I've got uh, I'm, uh, 12 or 1,300 of the members on Facebook, and they post images there and, and share images and ask questions and things like that. And then I have 12 sponsors, so every month I give away a product from one of the sponsors, and I raffle it off to the uh, 2,600 members, and somebody wins something each month. So, um, And then I was in the, before the pandemic started, I actually set up my first uh, – I was going to do a – uh, you know, a meetup with the members of the group. Anybody want to come? Longwood Garden was our first meetup, and uh, unfortunately, that's when the pandemic hit, and we had to cancel it. it. Was never, never rescheduled it since then. So maybe next year we'll do it. But I was going to have it set up so that anybody that wanted to come from our macro club and just meet up and hang out and shoot at a gardens or something, uh, just another little benefit of being in the work. macro club. All right. Yep. Well, I'll, I'll yeah. be sure to put that up on our uh, up, up on our show notes too, if people forget. Sure. Tiny landscapes. Yeah, appreciate it. Um, yeah. Well, Mike, hey, it's been an absolute joy. I think it's time that we uh, wrap this up and uh, and move yes. on with our days. Yeah, um, I gotta, been, dude. Thanks. I gotta go rest up. Gotta go rest up for pickleball tonight. <laughs> well, there's, you know, Mike, I have to tell you that um, when everybody, anybody asks me, you know, you've you've done a lot in your life and you've been around a little bit. Is there anything left? That no. you knew you I've were good only only a week. What would what would you want to do? And I said, well, really nothing other than have one more 
workshop between Moats and I of Macro and <laughs> Macro and more. <laughs> and I keep trying one of these days when I get to Tennessee, <clears throat> driving up there with duct tape and wire ties, <laughs> and I'm gonna put you in the back of my truck and we're gonna go run a workshop once more yeah. just for all time's sake. Yeah. We had a great time. Yeah. It was it was but, great. Those things were so much fun. But we said we would structure it different. I would just stay in bed in the morning while you go out and shoot. <laughs> and, and folks that are listening to this, this is why Moats is a macro photographer, because of me. I drove him away. I got him up at 4 in the morning. He didn't want to do that. And that's when he decided, this is baloney. I'm going to go be a macro photographer. I can I'm, a, I'm an early riser. I'm up at 5, 6 in the morning. But, damn, I don't want to get up at 4 in the morning and go outside <laughs> in the dark. <laughs> But all kidding aside, it was fun, and maybe we can do that again. Mikey, thank you so much for taking the time. Oh. I, I, I know you're you're busy. But I'm so the, busy. <laughs> and the last question that we always ask Mike, the last question, uh-huh. and then get a sign off. But we always sign off in the same way with most. <laughs> what did you have for lunch today? Okay, so I have already been to the Burger King. Well, actually, I've been to Burger King twice today. I was there at 6.30 this morning, and then after I played pickleball this morning, I was there for lunch at 11 o'clock. So, and my afternoon is going to be Arby's, which is I'm going to go there right after we get done wrapping this up. I eat fast food three times a day. <laughs> and the last time you had a medical checkup, everything was fine. Yeah, well, I've only had one physical in my life, and the only reason I took that physical is because my doctor retired. I had to get a new doctor, so this new doctor says, I won't take you as a patient unless I do a physical. I says, okay, fine. So I went through this whole physical thing. He says, your blood pressure is perfect. He says, your cholesterol, you have all good cholesterol, very low bad cholesterol. He says, so everything's checking out fine, so whatever you're doing, keep it up. <laughs> I, says, I didn't say a word. <laughs> well, we it's have not to a have... diet I recommend to other people, but well, that's who knows? Great. Maybe my arteries are all plugged up, though. I might drop dead tomorrow. Well, if you do, um, John, you need any camera gear? No, no, I think I'm good. <laughs> Well, Mike, I'm using one of those Fuji cameras. What do you, what do you want a Fuji camera? <laughs> you know, Mike, I tell my folks if the, your images are bad, it ain't the camera. Yeah, that's right. You know? Yep. Well, listen, hang in. Enjoy your pickleball and your fast food and uh, and lifestyle that you have. Oh, yeah. God bless you. It's all good. John, I don't know what you're up to, but. I'm going to finish doing email and uh, and head on out. We got nice weather this week. I'd like to thank everybody for taking their time to listen to our interview with Mike. And uh, if you have any comments, it's wetalkphoto at gmail.com. And we've got a few folks on deck here coming up that I know you're going to really enjoy. Thank you all for being here. And we'll see you soon, John. You hang in. All right, folks. Thank you much. Thanks, Mike. Thank you guys.